I want you to take your Bible, find Exodus chapter 21. Exodus chapter 21. Exodus chapter number 21. I'll read an unusual passage of Scripture and then you'll give me a little bit of time to build up to where I want to go. But Exodus chapter number 21, I don't know if we can turn that monitor down just a little bit if we can. Verse number 28, Exodus 21 and verse 28. If an ox gore a man or a woman that they die, then the ox shall be surely stoned, and his flesh shall not be eaten, but the owner of the ox shall be quit. But if the ox were wont to push with his horn in time past, and it hath been testified to his owner, and he hath not kept him in, that he hath killed a man or a woman, the ox shall be stoned, and his owner shall be put to death. If there be laid on him a sum of money, then he shall give for the ransom of his, of his life whatsoever is laid upon him. Whether he have gored a son or have gored a daughter, according to this judgment shall it be done unto him. If the ox shall push a manservant or a maidservant, he shall... Give unto their master 30 shekels of silver, and the ox shall be stoned. I want to preach tonight for just a little bit on this subject. The dangerous ox must die. The dangerous ox must die. Our text sits right in the middle of a section in Exodus that is called the Book of the Covenant. You'll find that phrase in chapter 24 and verse number 7. Of course, God gives Moses the Ten Commandments. That's chapter 20. And after he gives him the Ten Commandments, God gives Moses a series of case laws that apply those Ten Commandments to everyday life. Those laws are found in chapter 21, chapter 22, and chapter 23. And those laws are really the application of the Ten Commandments. They're written in very different legal language than the Decalogue. The Ten Commandments are are general principles. They have a very universal, very broad application. But the case laws are, are more specific and they speak to a thousand and one different scenarios that come up just in everyday living. And we understand that they're not meant to be a comprehensive legal code, but they are, they are representative. They're, they're descriptive of, of different situations that come up. They, they follow an if-then formula. If this happens then this is the remedy or, or the penalty. For example, the Eighth Commandment, thou shalt not steal. That's a general, broad statement. But then you get to Exodus chapter 22 and verse 1. If a man shall steal an ox or a sheep and kill it or sell it, he shall restore five oxen for an ox and four sheep for a sheep. So it's expanding upon that one commandment and it prescribes a penalty for stealing an ox or a sheep and the penalty is different depending on if it's an ox or a sheep. And so you understand that the Ten Commandments, that's the foundation, that's the, that, that's the base. And then the book of the covenant applies those laws to specific circumstances. The Ten Commandments were written on stone. The rest of this case law is written on parchment and the reason is to show the, the inflexible a dogmatic, the absolute unchanging nature of, of the Ten Commandments, but, but case laws may, may change with societal changes. For example, I don't know if anybody in here owns an ox. 
I don't own an ox. And so, so this specific law really doesn't mean anything to you. Now we look for a principle behind the law. We know that all scripture is profitable, but as a law, as a law, this particular law is not something that you need to be concerned with this week if you don't own an ox. There are some people who are, who are uh, Christian reconstructionists or theonomists and they believe that, that, that we ought to enforce all of these laws and these penalties on our own modern justice system. And if you believe that, then you'd be okay with the reformer setting up a church state or a church-run state. But these laws were never intended for us to set up as, 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 as laws on our nations. It was never intended for the United States or any other nation to adopt all of these laws as the laws of our land. They, they are illustrative of the principles behind the Ten Commandments. Now when you step back, when you step back and you take a 40,000 foot view at, at the law of God as a whole, there are several things that you know something about the character of God. Uh, for, 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 for instance, um, when, I, when I look at the law just, just at a large view, um, it is obvious that God is concerned with the public behavior of his people. What this shows is that God is concerned with how his people live in society. He doesn't want us to live in private piety, but in public morality. He wants our relationship to him and our obedience to his laws to be lived out in the public arena. It is a contradiction to be pious in here and immoral out there. And so the laws of God are not just to be kept in our heart. They are to guide us in everyday living. Something else that the law tells us about the character of God is that God demands justice for everyone, equal justice that is. What you will find is that the slave is to be treated with the same fairness as the free man. And you find that the poor man is to get as much justice as the rich man. And the woman is afforded as much protection as the man is. Equal justice under the law. It is a theme that is prevailing throughout the law. Now just very quickly, just by way of setup, I want to just start in chapter 21 and I want to just give you the broad categories of the law and then we're going to our text. But would you look at chapter 21, and I, I want you just to look at verse 1 through 11. We're not going to read it, but you might want to mark it. But in verse 1 through 11, here are laws regarding slavery. Now, there's some confusion among Bible students over how the Bible views slavery. And one question is, why doesn't the Bible outright condemn slavery? It's a great question. I, I don't know if I have the answer. The Bible doesn't support slavery, but the Bible seems to allow for it and to make concessions for it. And, and it will help you to know that, that, that servitude and slavery in the Old Testament is not the same as what you would think like with the African slave trade. You can't make a correlation between the two. It's two different things. But what may surprise you is that every law in the Old Testament that deals with slavery is a law protecting the slave. God is concerned for the rights of the least of his citizens. And if you study all of the codes of the law of the ancient Near East, you would find that they're not afforded any rights. You've got to go to God's law to find that. 
You've heard of in the 17th and 18th century, there was a famous code. It was the Hammurabi Code. I'm sure that you've heard of that in school. And it addresses rights of slaves, and it addresses at the very end of the Hammurabi Code, but God puts it at the very beginning of his code. It's talking about slavery. Then, when you look at chapter 21 and verse 12 down to verse number 17, here are laws regarding capital punishment. And there are some people who think that capital punishment is, is barbaric and it promotes a culture of death and there's a lot of arguments made against it. God determined back in Genesis chapter 9 a life for a life. And what the death penalty ultimately teaches is not a culture of death but the value of human life. That when you take the life of someone who is made in the image of God, then you've got to pay for that with the ultimate penalty and that's with your own life. See, when you get to verse number 18 down to verse number 32, you have laws regarding personal injury. Something happens, it injures somebody, it is less than death. It doesn't warrant capital punishment, but there is going to be some sort of penalty. So in these verses, you have two men that get into an argument and one hits the other with a stone. You have a man that injures his servant. You have a woman who is carrying a child and she is injured. In our verses, we find out that you're even responsible for your animals. If you have an animal that gets loose and injures somebody, then you are responsible for that. And the overarching theme of it all is that you are responsible for your actions. And we understand that, that, that theme of responsibility. And again, we could come to a hundred different scenarios and it's not trying to be conclusive, but it's trying to teach you an overarching principle of responsibility. Then we come to verse number 33. And verse 33 down to chapter 22 and verse 15, here are laws regarding property rights. And there's nine different situations that are described. Here's the case of a man who digs a pit and somebody else's animal falls into it. Uh, here's the case of a one man's beast goring another man's beast. Uh, here's a man whose animal's loose grazing in another field. Here's a man who sets a fire and the fire spreads to another man's field. There are several scenarios where, where somebody borrows or he leases something and then that thing is stolen or broken while in his possession. He's responsible for that. And so, so, so you're given all of these case laws and it's teaching you, it's teaching you responsibility. But then we come tonight to my text and it's the case of the dangerous ox and it's very, it's very fascinating to me. This is what we would call in our day animal control laws. Maybe you have a leash law in your neighborhood to keep an animal from, from running wild in the neighborhood. If your dog gets loose and bites somebody else, then, then you know that you are responsible for that. And in this law, the sanctity of life is upheld because even if a beast takes a human life, it is treated as a murder. And it's fascinating to me. I want you to look at it in verse number 28. If an ox gore a man or woman that they die, then the ox shall be surely stoned and his flesh shall not be eaten, but the owner of the ox shall be quit. This is an agrarian culture. An ox would be used to plow a field or, or other farm-related work. And if your ox got loose and if that ox attacked somebody else and that person died, then you have to put that ox to death. The owner is not charged with murder because it's an accident, it's, ne it's maybe negligent, but it's not intentional, so he's not charged with murder, but, but, but you, you suffer the loss of the ox because the law ox is useful in farming. It's gonna cost you, but it's not gonna cost you your life. 
Now, now why, why does the ox have to be killed? And here's the reason why. It is contrary to God's original creation for an animal to attack a human because God gave man dominion over the beasts of the field. It is an act of rebellion against creation. It is a direct result of the curse and God teaches that human life is valuable to the extent that all of creation is to honor it even an ox. And if a beast goes against God's intent of creation and takes a human life, then that beast is to be removed from creation. But verse 28 is very specific that the ox is to not just be killed, but it is to be stoned to death. Why is the ox to be stoned? The reason why is because the Jew is forbidden to eat meat with blood in it. And by stoning the ox, there is no bloodletting and so it's got the blood in it and, and there can be no benefit from the death of this ox. And so by stoning it this way, by the way, the ox is a clean animal, but by stoning it this way, it is treated as an unclean animal because of the offense that it has committed. It is no longer clean. It is now an unclean. There is a transformation that has taken place. But then look at verse number 29. The circumstances change. If the ox were wont to push, if it was known to push with his horn in time past, and it hath been testified to his owner, and he hath not kept him in, but that he hath killed a man or woman, the ox shall be stoned, watch this, and his owner also shall be put to death. It's a different circumstance. The ox is aggressive. And the owner knew that the ox is aggressive and he knew that the ox is dangerous, but he didn't take strong enough measures to keep that ox contained. In fact, he was even warned by other people that your ox is dangerous, but he kept it anyway. And now when the ox gets loose and kills another person, now the ox and the owner have to pay with their life. And the principle behind it is that you are responsible for the injuries that you directly caused and for the ones that you didn't actually cause but you could have prevented. When you have, when you have a deadly animal you are, and you are negligent to keep it contained, then in the law's eyes you are a deadly duo. That's what verse 29 is teaching us. I have a, um, I have a golden doodle. Well, we have a golden doodle. I don't know if you know what a golden doodle is, but a golden doodle is a, um, it's a very sissy kind of dog. <laughs> it's the best way to describe it. It is a sissy dog. My, 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 dog, my dog wouldn't know how to bite you. If you came into our house, he might lick you to death. If a burglar came into our house in the middle of the night, he would be so happy to have company. That's how he would look at it. So, so, so if you came to our house and my dog bit somebody, it would be so out of character. It, it, would, be, it would be so shocking. It would be so, un that is the last thing that that dog is gonna do. But if he did bite somebody, still my dog. I'm still responsible for the medical bills, the emergency room visit, the stitches. I, I, I'm still responsible for that dog. Now, if I had a pit bull, 
And I kept that pit bull on a chain all of its life. And, and that dog is always growling and snarling and barking and lunging at its chain and, and, and just, just always, that's a dangerous animal. Now, if that dog gets off that chain, gets into the neighborhood and bites a kid in the neighborhood, the penalty is going to be a whole lot more severe than that little sissy dog. That dog is going to have to be put to sleep. It needs to be put to sleep. But I could face criminal charges, certainly civil charges. That's the situation here in verse 29. Now look at verse 30. I'm going somewhere. If there be laid on him a sum of money, then he shall give for the ransom of his life whatsoever is laid upon him. Because the death is not premeditated because it is unintentional. God will allow a substitute punishment for the owner. If the surviving family allows, they can set a price as a ransom for the person that died. And the owner can pay the ransom price as a ransom for his own. He doesn't get to set the price. They set the price. And whatever price that the offended party sets, there's only two ways that the offense can be covered. It's he either dies or he accepts the ransom price that the offending party sets. Now, there's gospel all in that, and I don't have time to get there, all right? I, I'm moving on. But look at verse number 31. Whether he have gored a son or have gored a daughter, according to this judgment shall it be done unto him. There is no amount of money that can replace a lost son or daughter. But again, the family can demand a civil penalty instead of death. Verse number 32. If the ox shall push a manservant or a maidservant, he shall give unto the master 30 shekels of silver and the ox shall be stoned. If, if it's a son or a daughter, the family can say X amount of money as you had to pay this. If it is a servant, then the price is already set at 30 shekels of silver. Now, a lot of commentators read that and they believe that the slave is being devalued. I think just the opposite. I think that the price is set at 30 shekels of silver to prevent a court from allowing someone to pay less than that for a slave. Man would be prone to say it's just a servant, not as valuable as a son or daughter. I believe that God is saying, no, his life is valuable too. And it's not to say that his life is worth no more than this, but it is to say that his life cannot be valued any less than this. So, so, so in this particular law, there, there, there's, there's several layers of meaning and application. There, there's the value of human life, even if it is taken by, by a beast. There's the responsibility that you have for, for negligent behavior. There's the value of the servant. You can't pay less than 30 shekels of silver. Well, there's the principle of substitution and ransom payment and all of that. But I think that there's a deeper, deeper lesson behind the law. How do I apply this law to me right here right now. I don't have an ox. So the law in particular doesn't apply to me. But what principles can God teach me from this ancient law to help me in my walk with God? I give you three lessons. I hope that you'll write them down. Three principles. Here they are. From this law, the first principle that I find is that which cannot be kept must be killed. 
A man owns an ox, and that's not a bad thing. An ox would be a very useful creature. You could plow a field, you could haul a cart. An ox is a very useful animal. It's, there's nothing wrong, please understand, nothing wrong with owning an ox. But in this case, this ox has a rebellious streak and it's gotten out of the pen on occasion before. Not all oxen are dangerous animals, but it becomes apparent that this particular ox is dangerous and he's causing more trouble than he's worth. And here's the phrase in verse number 29, he hath not kept him in. As long as he can contain the ox, there's no problem. But when he fails to control the ox, when he fails to contain the ox, if you have an ox that is dangerous and you cannot control, you cannot contain that ox, then you better, you had better kill that ox. You may have a dangerous dog that is a good guard dog, but if that dog is always climbing the fence, if that dog is always getting out, if that dog is always getting loose, I'm gonna tell you something, you better get rid of that dog. It's gonna cause you problems somewhere down the road. That which cannot be kept must be killed. I can make 100 applications, let me make one or two. And please understand, I am not the kind of preacher, Brother Ricky, that comes into somebody else's church and preaches against everything. I'm not the hatchet man. And I'm not preaching against these things. We, we, live, we live in a digital world and we're not going back to analog anytime soon. All of your kids grow up with a gadget in their hand. We call them digital natives. They, they grow up with that. If, if you own a smartphone and you can't figure out how to do something on it, hand it to a kid. Right? I am amazed. I'm amazed that my little grandbabies who can't spell cat can turn a video on on the, on the cell phone. I'm amazed. Now, I'm not preaching against these things. I am right now, I am right now in the process of trying to reduce my digital footprint. I'm, I'm trying to see, do I need all of these devices? I'm trying to erase online accounts and get rid of, of, of Google and YouTube. And for me, it's a privacy censorship, security thing, thing for, you understand. It, it is not wrong, please understand. It is not wrong to own all of those digital things. In my office at the house, I have a 27 foot, 27 inch of MacBook screen. I have, I, have a, I have an Apple laptop. I'm preaching off of an iPad. There's an iPhone out there somewhere. I, I would like to get rid of the iPhone because, I'm, I, I, because of the security again. And again, I don't think it's wrong to own those things that they can be very, very, very useful things. But did you know that good things can become bad things? Did you know that that can actually become addictive? And did you know that you can pull up a lot of sin and you can pull up a lot of evil and you can pull up a lot of foolishness on even good devices? There have been many men who have sat in an office or a home or a bedroom for hours and hours upon time and they have stared at pornography until their brain was fried and they go to chat rooms and, and online dating sites and explore all kinds of vile subjects that you want to think about. I'm going to tell you something. If you can't keep it, you better kill it. What happens is a man or woman says, well, I, I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to control this ox. I'm going to, I'm going to build a fence around it. 
I'm going to get a blocker and I'm going to have, a, I'm going to have covenant eyes and I'm going to build this fence. And I'm going to have an accountability partner. I'm going to use it only during the day and I'm going to be careful. Hey, hey, preacher, I'm building a fence and I'm going to keep the dangerous oxen. Hey, hey, those things are good and you ought to do that. I, I, I believe that. But I'm going to tell you, that ox has a way of getting out. I've had men, I've had men sit in my office who were caught by their wives and pornography and they went and bought a new computer. They had a secret email account. They had private logins that their wife didn't know. They were saying that they were keeping the ox in, but that ox just kept getting out and getting out. And a teenager will have a private login. And I'm gonna tell you, if that ox keeps getting out of the fence and if it's evidence that you cannot control it, you better kill the ox. Well, I can't imagine living without a smartphone. You might want to imagine living without your family. Imagine living without your, without your marriage. Why don't you imagine living without the power of God in your life? Why don't you imagine living without a pure mind? See, please understand, there's nothing wrong with having the ox. There's nothing wrong with that. But if you cannot keep that ox in its proper place, if it keeps getting out, you need to kill the ox. The risk of having the ox is not as is greater than the value of the ox. Again, Brother Gravity, I'm not preaching against this. Please understand. There, there's ladies that sit on our churches and they go home and they are addicted to social media and, and they look at it for hours upon hours upon hours. I'm not preaching against Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all the rest of it. Have five accounts for all I care. I do not think that it is a sin for you to have social media, but you can very quickly turn it into a sin. You keep building a fence and I'm gonna set these rules to keep this ox in. You might wanna go home and just kill the ox. I preached this last night. I said, you ought to apply this to friends, not actually kill them, but <laughs> kill the relationship. Whatever you have in your life that is dangerous and keeps getting out and it poses a danger to you and others, you must kill it. I have a lady who used to go to our church and we had some doctrinal differences. She, she went to another church and she still watches our services and she'll email me with Bible questions. Good lady, just, just some doctrinal differences. And she's been a nervous wreck since all the election fiasco. And several times she has, you know, every time something happens, she'll email or text. But what's happening, preacher, what's happening? She emailed last week. She's all she's worried sick about where our country's headed. Preacher, they're going to shut the churches down. Uh, are we headed to civil war? Man, she's got all these questions. Here's her problem. She's watching news every day, all day long. Best thing she can do is kill the ox. We watched we watched the election November third, six, whatever day they, they stole that, and we watched it. We was watching it on. We was watching it was watching it on Fox News that night in the living room of the family. And when it became evident that they weren't going to call Florida, they were going to call Arizona, I turned it off and went to bed. Amen. Since that, now, now again, y'all do what y'all want to. Since that night, yeah. since that night, I have not watched a single minute of cable or network or Fox News, Fox News Radio, have not watched a single minute of any of that news since that night. I killed the ox. And I missed the ox for about two days. But I'm really glad that the ox is dead. That had become an idol to me. I was a political junkie is what I was. I could care less. 
Man, elect five of them as president for all I care. I, I don't care tonight. I don't care if it is sports, if it is video games, if it is credit cards, if it is social media. The ox must die. That which cannot be kept must be killed. Here's the second thing. That which is dangerous will become deadly. See, everybody knew that the ox was want to push. It meant he's the kind of ox that's going to try to gore you if you're not careful. Not every ox is that way. But this ox is cantankerous. You made sure your kids stay away from that ox. You steer clear from that ox. The owner, the owner knew his temperament. So, so he made sure that he's secured in a strong pen because if the ox gets out, he's going to kill somebody. You are taking a risk. You are taking a risk in keeping that ox because there is potential for harm for somebody one day. And one day this ox does get out and he goes on a rampage and he does not care who he gores and he gores a little child. Can you imagine having to go visit the family? That's your ox. And you go visit that family and there's the bloody body of that little child laying there on the ground. And it's your ox that did it. And you were told, you were told it's going to happen one day. And now it's too late. Dangerous things can become deadly things. The reason you better kill the ox because it's going to kill something else. People sitting in our churches got hooked on prescription drugs. Just got stronger and stronger and stronger. That ox eventually just took their life. Those Christians who said, I found new liberty in Christ. I think it's okay to take a little wine with a meal. And then a little bit stronger and a little bit stronger until they found themselves a full-on drunk. And they played with that dangerous things. But those dangerous things have a way of just leading you along, leading you along, leading you along. It's killed your relationship with your wife. It's killed your walk with God. It's killed your influence with your children. It's killed your love for the house of God. There's people sitting in our church and the Harris family, Harris brothers get up and sing, God moves. But what used to be alive inside of you is dead. It's dead and you can't worship because you kept a dangerous ox around. Most of us have weapons in our house. I am. I'm for gun ownership. I own guns. I'm not going to tell you how many guns I own. But if you are a responsible gun owner, you know that a gun can be a dangerous weapon. So if you're a responsible gun owner, you take measures to keep it safe. So maybe you keep it in a safe. Maybe you, um, maybe you have a trigger guard on it. Surely you keep it unloaded. You wouldn't take a loaded pistol and lay it on the kitchen table, especially if you have little children around. You're playing with fire. And there have been instances when a little child has picked up a gun and thought it was a toy and tragedy took place. That'd be a horrible thing. And I don't know how you could ever live with yourself if something like that had ever happened. And it would probably so traumatize most of us that we just want to get rid of all the guns. Just, just, just too dangerous. Just, just, I, I, don't, I don't ever have a gun in my house again. But if it's so dangerous and you're so irresponsible keeping it, maybe it's better to get rid of it before that happens than after it happens. I'm not against gun ownership. I own guns. Guns in themselves are not dangerous. It's when it's in the hand of a child or a criminal. That's when it becomes dangerous. Guns never shot somebody on its own. 
But the principle is that if you have something dangerous in your life, if you keep it, it will eventually become deadly. That which cannot be kept, it must be killed. And that which is dangerous will become deadly. Here's the third principle. That which you can handle will harm others. If you will notice that this ox did not attack its owner. And the reason why is because this owner probably raised this ox as a calf. He knew the ox well. He knew the temperament. He knew not to walk behind the ox. He knew not to get too close to the, to the, to, to the horns. He, he could handle the ox. I, I've been handling this ox for years. I, I can, pre- preacher, I can handle this. Pre- preacher, I, pre- preacher, I hear you, but I know what I'm doing. Preacher, preacher, don't worry about me. Preacher, preacher, I, I've been handling these kind of oxen all of my life and I am, I'm sure that I'm strong enough to handle it. And that ox may never come after you and it lulls you into a false sense of security, but all the while it's hurting somebody else. So you send the kids to bed and you stay up and you watch HBO and Cinemax. And you watch filthy things. But you're an adult. So the kids are asleep. You can handle it. We, we've seen worse things than this. I, I, I'm mature. I, I can handle this. We, we would never let our children watch this because they're not mature. And, and your children never see that. They never see that. But that filth that destroys any semblance of God in your life as a spiritual leader in your house. And those children never hear that daddy pray. And they lose the influence of having a godly father instead of one that just plays one. Oh, you're handling it. But it's harming somebody else. And there's men who hid that porn addiction and they hid it for years. They knew it was wrong but finally just concluded, I can't defeat it, I'm just going to live with it. And their professionals added and they will live with it and their wife will never find out. She'll never know. But she also doesn't know why there's no intimacy in the marriage. Why is the marriage like this? Oh, you handled it. And it gored the marriage to death. The danger of the dangerous ox is that it is dangerous to somebody else. This ox never gored him. This ox never attacked him. But in the end, it's going to cost him either his life or a ransom. And he doesn't get to set the price. Somebody's going to set the price for him. And you think that you could handle it. But what you handle will harm others. So I ask you, opening night, second week of revival, do you have an ox in your life that needs to die? If you keep it, that ox will eventually get out. And it's going to hurt somebody. And if you can't control it, you better kill it. It may not even be wrong to have the ox. But we're not trying to see how much we can get away with. I want to see how safe I can be. Do you have enough concern for your family and the children in your home to say that ox is dangerous? We're not keeping it at this home anymore. A friend, a relationship, a hobby, an addiction. The dangerous ox must Heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. God spoke to your heart this evening.
Would you step out of your seat and would you come? Just do business with the Lord. Is there an ox in your life? It's dangerous. It's dangerous. You can't control it. Kill it. Put a bullet in its head. Say, I'm not playing with it any longer. 